Hello, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. Welcome to Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates video game movies. I really wanted to introduce myself as Harry of the House Steel, but then as you're my brother, you'd be introducing yourself in pretty much the same way, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, not much variety on that front. No, we don't have really interesting surnames like Cypher does in the show Castlevania, which we're returning to today. It's so far our only video game TV show we've actually looked at, and we haven't looked at any in between the previous episode where we looked at the show where we covered seasons one and two. And there is, you know, plenty still there, and there's plenty more to come on the on the video game TV show front. But it was nice to return to the world of Castlevania once again. I hadn't actually watched season three uh, since it it was released. Um, so I kind of managed to watch season three and four back to back in the space of about a week and a half, um, because season four only came out um, just about a week and a half ago. Yeah, I remember season three coming out shortly after all the lockdown and panic buying was happening due to COVID, because in season three, one of the characters asks, what the fuck is toilet paper? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, tell me about it. Look at the fl- flipping shelves of the stores right now. <laughs> but yeah, it's crazy how it's been. It's been so much time. But our last, our first Castlevania episode was relatively early. Which number was that? Do you remember? I think it was maybe around 19. No, 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 19. Okay. Yeah, Um. I, I watched Castlevania 3 three when um it came out and because i really enjoyed the first two seasons so i was kind of itching to return to it but i knew we kind of had to wait until this one not least because i think it had been widely reported this was going to be the the sort of final season i would say of castlevania as we know it because it has been word hasn't there of potential spin-offs and I, i don't know how much is witchful thinking and how much of it is is true i think they have announced that they are planning to make a return to the transylvania universe but it would be not so much a spin-off but it'd be set within the same universe but with a new set of characters but given how many games there are Mm. and often featuring different time periods and different members of the uh, belmont dynasty there's quite a lot of material they can draw from yes weird isn't it that's because that exists because all those games exist fans will be a-okay with completely recasting the characters but it seems like all other shows and films you just can't do that i guess we'd be looking at castlevania the next generation oh i hope so yeah (laughs) yeah but like in the 24th century then i suppose (laughs) but uh, yeah i think Obviously, the TV show we're talking about was heavily influenced by 
the PlayStation game Symphony of Nights. We talked about that in the previous episode. And that follows Alucard. Simon Belmont is the famous one from the first couple of Castlevania games. So, you know, I can see it happening. I think also maybe another reason why a a fifth quote-unquote Castlevania season would take a break is, of course, the whole uh, Warren Ellis situation, which happened, um, well, I would say came to light at the, was it June or August last year? And like a huge quantity of women um, came forward to accuse Warren Ellis of, uh, I think, sexual coercion, manipulation, gaslighting coercion. It's one of those cases. I thought that he was completely cut out of Castlevania for season four, but apparently his work had all been completed. And so you kind of, when we're watching these episodes for this review, that does stick in the mind a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I was under the impression because of, uh, as you say, all this came to light after season three, but before season four, that uh, his name would necessarily feature anywhere. But I guess he had written all the episodes. Mm. so And he did create the series. But yes, they have said that he wouldn't be involved in any subsequent iterations of Castlevania on Netflix. So that's what will happen. But it does mean that I suppose, in essence, this being marked as the final season of this iteration of Castlevania, it does wrap things up with his involvement, as well as with, um, to the extent, the characters. We won't get too far into spoiler territory just yet, uh, but there will be spoilers, obviously, for Castlevania Season 3 and 4, and by that token, 1 and 2. So do listen back to our previous Castlevania episode if you want to catch up on our thoughts on that. Yeah, since um, I think our last review of Castlevania, I've I've, I've gotten into vampires in a big way. I mean, <laughs> I always liked monsters, and I always liked uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Coppola, not Coppola. Coppola. <laughs> oh dear, that's a Freudian slip. Uh, <laughs> um, Have you become something of a what's the character in Dracula? Renwick. Oh yeah, that's, <laughs> just trying to think uh, a Vlad fan. Vlad Tass- I don't know. Yeah. It's funny though, recently there's been a, an announcement for a film called The Bride of Dracula, and I think there's a Renwick film happening. So they do like chip away, don't they, at what, what they can, you know, utilize from the mythos of Dracula. Is um, this the return of the dark universe that we can oh, that we've all been waiting universe. for with baited breath? I think so. I think bizarrely. Some of the announcements said, yes, this is a dark universe movie. Just just let it lie. <laughs> uh, but, but I guess I... that like Universal have been resurrecting the horror. So we did have like the new version of the Invisible Man, mm. which in a way was the sort of Bloomhouse was it taking over ownership of just no no, forget Dark Universe. We'll we'll do it properly. <laughs> yeah, I don't it's, I think it's one of those, you know how the, the DC movie universe seems to have these mainline films and then sort of bizarre offshoots which don't really fit into a canon if you if you actually give a crap of that sort of yeah. thing. I think they approached Universal saying, can we just take this character and like make our own movie? It's so funny though, because I'm sure the Invisible Man is out is now out of license and can be used by anyone. Yeah. Universal don't own the concept of Invisible Man or <laughs> Dracula's or Frankenstein's. 
Um, it's so funny though, because in the in the games of Castlevania, you get like a Frankenstein's monster at one point, and you're like, "Hello." <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of that, I did download the Castlevania collection. It was like an anniversary collection for um, I can't remember what anniversary. And I think upon release, people are disappointed because it, it does seem to be like a grab bag of early Castlevania games. So mm. you would hope it would have Symphony of Night or some of the bigger games, but it had Castlevania's 1 to 4, plus I think the spin-off Bloodlines, the completely off-kilter Kids Dracula, which is a really, really fun very colourful NES platform game, um, as you as you play, as named Jessica Kid Dracula. And there's also a couple of Game Boy games. And it was there's quite a lot of fun to play a really low resolution Game Boy game with a big screen. But they are all tough as nails. And I remember in our last episode about Castlevania, I was telling you how I beat Dracula by using the re- rewind feature like a hundred times. Mm. I am sort of auto-saving almost after every enemy in Castlevania 3. <laughs> and, and at time of recording, I am at, I'm at the start of the last level of Castlevania 3. And uh, we, I, I'm doing this because I wanted to see if the TV show, which is based on Castlevania 3, ended in a similar way but we'll get to that i suppose Mm -hmm. i guess the only other thing that's happened recently in castlevania news because the franchise as a whole is pretty stagnant as it is with most konami franchises at the moment based on people's um constant badgering for more silent hill and more metal gear solid news is that um i think in the past month or so the cancelled Castlevania Resurrection on Dreamcast demo has been unearthed and made mm-hmm. available to those who want to make downloads of those kind of things. Um, I've seen some footage of it. It doesn't look like we missed out on too much because it's that kind of... I think Castlevania, as things like Castlevania 64 and and I guess this Dreamcast thing, whether or not it's ever really had successful 3D iterations. I know there have been, but it always seems to me that the kind of side-scrolling versions of it are the more popular entries, at least. But it's an interesting artifact, particularly because the Dreamcast, being the console it was and not the success that it could have been, many games were started development and were subsequently cancelled. So there's a a wealth of... um, demos and games and uh and treasures to be found um out there um but it's just interesting that i hadn't even heard of this dreamcast castlevania game and lo and behold a demo uh existed of it complete with music and graphics and Mm. you know a few playable levels it should have been called dream castlevania it'd been perfect but wasn't to be dracula is dead by my hand and the hand of a speaker and the hand of the last of the Belmonts the humans are in complete chaos good boy hiding in villages being picked up by night creatures we enclose this corridor and drink all the humans forever the human race is poisonous and corrupted 
curse should be wiped off the world. One day, hell will be emptied and its doors will rattle in the wind. Do you have a suggestion? Let me take care of it. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm a simple man with simple pleasures. It's bloody chaos out there! Kill them all, Forge Master. We bring hell to this abandoned earth. Cypher, do you have my back? Always. So, Castlevania series, I said season three, um, it's ten episodes, and uh, I think the first season was four, and the second season was eight, and here we've got season four and five, season three and four, both ten episodes apiece. So, I guess how we're going to do this is sort of talk about the seasons individually and sort of follow through what happens to each group of characters because i think for for good for good or ill we are following i guess uh, three or four sets of characters and they don't really meet uh especially in the third season if i recall would that would that Mm. be right yeah i i think uh i mentioned the previous episode how the second season kind of felt like the tv show was starting to feel a bit Game of Thrones in that there were lots, there there comes a point in Game of Thrones where the different groups of characters are split up and sent in different directions and have their own quests and tasks. And there'd be full episodes where, you know, you check in with a few of them and then another episode you check in with another few of them. And then the total kind of screen time of, say, one thread per season was maybe only like 20 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. You kind of like have to check in with them every other episode for about five minutes just to see which part of the map they were on. Yeah, I don't think the Game of Thrones vibe has left the show come season three and four. Um, it won't be the last time we mention Game of Thrones, I should think. Yeah, because I, I think uh, with all these different threads, and I think a lot of what this show does is that it's quite a lot of planning and talking and debating and pontificating. And the way the story in each of these threads slowly unfolds is very kind of deliberately paced. It does mean you get a lot of scenes where it's just characters sort of standing around having static dialogue with each other. And then you'll get every episode or so some punctuation of very dynamic, bloody action, usually with a bunch of night creatures terrorizing villagers and ripping their throats out. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of what we do. We terrorize the villager... There's not a throat <laughs> unpulled. <laughs> um, but what I'll, what I'll say sort of generally and, and, you know, my feelings of the first couple of seasons, I felt like obviously the first season was just sort of establishing itself. It was more of a prologue to the events of season two. And I feel like season three and four carry on that feel. But for all that, you know, standing around delivering dialogue stuff i do really like that i think the dialogue is really well written there's a lot of 
you know, people saying like piss and shit and talking about, you know, fucking goats and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> like uh, we mentioned before, I think in the opening of one episode, there's a long conversation between uh, two of our main leads, leads, Trevor Belmont, Monster Hunter, and uh, Cypher Bernardes, um, Magician. Um, and they're talking about dealing with a bunch of burning devil goat turds from the sky um, when they've been attacked by evil goats in a past encounter with monsters, etc. Um, so there's a lots of colourful dialogue in that respect. But I just like how, I guess with having these additional episodes, one may say, oh, this episode's a bit filler. This thing doesn't really advance the plot too much. And definitely there is the case where everything builds towards usually the penultimate episode of a season where it's all out battles. It's all out, you know, fighting and war. So it's like, okay, this is where all the, you know, real animation energy <laughs> went into making sure that those sequences worked. But that doesn't mean that all the stuff beforehand isn't in of itself entertaining. I really just liked the kind of the pacing, the discussions between the characters. And yeah, some of it's just going around in circles a bit. But whether it's the performances, the dialogue, or even just how like nicely designed the characters and the settings they're having these conversations in, I really uh, liked the tone that was struck in those bits. I think this makes an interesting parallel with what we were talking about in regards to Mortal Kombat last time, because mm. I mentioned how in Mortal Kombat, people will just say their backstories at people. And this show made me realize how well they on the surface look like they're doing the same thing. In Castlevania, they're having conversations. It's always mm. Isaac talking to someone. And I think Isaac's story in season three was my favorite part of season three because mm. when we last left Isaac, he had been cast out of Castle Dracula by Dracula so that Dracula could save Isaac. And Isaac feels just a, a great loss because he, he Dracula is no longer in his life. He feels betrayed because I think Hector, his co-forge master, um, helped Camilla take take over castle dracula so he basically he's on a mission of revenge and as i mentioned about the whole game of thronesy connections this on the surface reminds me a lot of maybe season two of game of thrones so let's say say light spoilers for game of thrones throughout <laughs> but in game of thrones season two um one of like the, the series favorite characters spends a lot of time walking through the desert not really doing much. I won't say who it is, but she spends a lot of her time saying, where are my dragons? <laughs> <laughs> but the difference here is that Isaac, he does seem to be on a mission and he has several very interesting conversations with other humans. Because remember, he's trying to revenge himself on all humans. And also with a fellow night creature at one point. And sometimes it's very on the nose. I think he literally says at one point um i have agency and you have agency <laughs> and i thought yeah that's like that's like a writer's room note talking about people's agency i i just i know we're talking about vampires and fantasy beasts but i just my suspension of disbelief was a little bit shattered when he starts talking about his agency and shit but as i said it's 
it's people shooting the shit in an interesting way. And in fact, I got a little bit more disinterested whenever we had scenes entirely devoted to battle because I feel the battles in season three and season four just weren't ever able to top what the, the, the big battle at the end of season two, both on sort of a technical level. I thought they were slightly less well animated, but maybe that's just roasting through the glasses. Though the, the battle I'm referencing in season two, I've watched multiple times and it still takes me <laughs> away every time. But that battle in season two was also the first time our heroes, Trevor, Alucard and Cypher, were working as a unit. And it's the only time I think the show uses the video game music. We mentioned Bloody Tears, mm -hmm. the iconic tune. So that just had everything. And then there's certainly impressive battles and emotional battles in seasons three and four, but it it it's often felt like action for action's sake. So I agree, the conversations and the dialogue of this is really good, is, you know, kept me interested. And I think that, that brings us to the sort of the threads of the different uh, of season three and how I agree. I think the Isaac thread is maybe season three at its strongest. And I think Isaac as a character is maybe one of the most interesting characters, if not the most interesting character in the show. And it's quite funny when uh, towards the end of season four, Isaac finally confronts Carmilla and she says, is that Isaac, the least interesting man in Dracula's castle? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Such a sick burn. I know, but um, a bit pathetic as well. But yeah, I, I think the journey that he goes on and his, it is a lot of, yes, him sending his night creatures out to slaughter humans that cross him, but he has a lot of in-depth conversations with, he has to take a boat in order to get to uh, where Hector has been taken by Carmilla back to her home of Styria. And he enlists the services of this boat captain played by Lance Reddick. Yeah. And, you know, great actor, lovely presence. And he does a lovely vocal performance in this with his happy boat of monsters, <laughs> <laughs> where he sort of agrees to take these night creatures and promises you will not be eaten by my beasties. Um but I just love the exchanges and the <laughs> there's just the awkward moment where there's just like all these terrifying looking beasts with red eyes just like standing aboard this vessel, just like staring into the distance <laughs> amongst slightly nervous crew members. That's a very interesting character. He's only ever known as the captain. And crucially, he's not the pirate who is sort of missing in action. Uh, by which I mean he's in the game um, Castlevania 3, Dracula's Curse, but he doesn't feature in any of the show. There's a reference in season three, I think, Jason Isaac's judge character who who runs this village. He mentions sort of a, a land pirate. He's mm -hmm. sort of terrorizing people in his boat with wheels. But that's that was that's been acknowledged as a bit of an Easter egg by the right by the staff but and uh season four there's a character greta who is from a town called dynasty okay and her name is a little bit like i believe you're referring to grant dynasty yes so there, oh. there's i think there's like a name reference there but yes there there's reference to him but 
want to make really this clear. There is so much law, and I'm sure there's, <laughs> there's so much conflicting law. I mean, if you look at Carmilla, I think she's had many and different interpretations and and things like that. So we will get things wrong, listeners. Yeah, for which yeah. we we don't apologise. You're just going to have to live with it. <laughs> um, but the the captain character talking about he hasn't got a name and he's the guy he's like one of the really important minor characters because i think he sees these beasts coming up the pier these beasties and he knows he's dead unless he just play plays the situation i suppose and he i think shows isaac that humanity is is probably worth not well there are good humans perhaps because he's had a horrible <laughs> life i think we got a backstory for isaac in the last season but i mean there's there's a real gifable moment when he gets to a village and the villagers tell him to fuck off and he says well, everyone's just so fucking rude <laughs> and uh i think a lot of people could relate to that but you know to be fair he's his army is made out of demons from hell or human souls from hell who inhabit demon bodies so mm. i don't blame the villagers to be fair tell me the story isaac the night is long and sealers like stories i was a member of dracula's court dracula <sighs> oh this should be good Dracula, the Vampire King? Dracula, who wants to kill everyone in Wallachia? Everyone in the world. All the humans. Including you. I assumed that eventually this would include me, yes. So working for Dracula was like suicide the long way around? Perhaps. I find the human race worthless. And I suspect a fresh start would be good for the world. Present company accepted, of course. <laughs> but yeah, he's got a he's got a momentum. Is the story well? Despite this, this sitting down we're talking about, he ends season three, kind of going on a mission to get to a tower, and that tower is basically governed by a wizard who's got this entire town possessed with like a zombie thingamajigger <laughs> i think that's its name yeah uh, it's i think it's one of the most striking mm. it, it sort of it sort of chris cuts between that action and action happening in other threads at that time but i think the the kind of magic slave city that isaac encounters and defeats the magician for where the whole town has been built possessed by you know people under control of the magician has some of the most striking uh set pieces and action and just like the visuals of having this kind of ball of humans floating in the sky yeah like and then sphere. you have like giant night creature monsters and you know isaac sort of heading to the tower to defeat the magician and the moment when the magician like possesses isaac and you think oh hell no yeah i should have thought <laughs> um, of that <laughs> You walk into a town full of people possessed by a wizard, and they're like, "This won't." I'm sure this is fine. <laughs> I could just walk right in. But I think that's definitely some of the strongest in in any of the seasons of the show. And I think, you know, it didn't seem like necessarily the most sort of essential thing plot wise, but it definitely like sets Isaac on that path and 
you know, that sort of earlier discussion he has with that night creature bug who makes a reappearance in season four. And I liked how he's playing with a little doll because um, it's all about the sort of the human soul and the memories he has before he was sent to hell. It did make me think of salad fingers. Um, <laughs> yes, he does have that sort of voice, doesn't he? But <laughs> uh, I remember watching that scene a year ago and getting chills. And I still sort of got that way now. Um, he does. He isn't named in the show, but if you turn on the subtitles, his name is Fly's Eyes because of his <laughs> um, bug-like, the fly style eyes. eyes. I know, fly's <laughs> eyes. It's like how Pinhead was never called Pinhead and Hellraiser until like the, the special effects people just called him that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's just got this whispering voice and it's just horror. Just, I'm, I think I might have mentioned this before. I'm like terrified of hell. And uh, I'm not religious though. <laughs> and also I don't really believe in heaven. I just like think, oh hell. But this his character was in a nutshell, he was persecuted by Christianity. He was under torture, I guess for questioning the existence of God, and he was told to give up some fellow philosophers, and he did, but was still killed. And because of that betrayal, he was sent to hell. And there's this line where he says, I was sent to hell because the world is insane. And it's that real sort of nihilistic unfairness. And like, what can you do but rage against it? So yeah, obviously Isaac's on this path of evil and destruction, but he does have an arc and I think he becomes, yeah, I mean, just skip, skipping to season four, he he sort of turns himself around <laughs> And uh, I guess we'll get to that a bit more seriously later because he, he sort of that's where he intercuts with like Hector's journey. Mm. So I guess one question we asked, we're asking ourselves at the end of season two is that Dracula dies. And there's always a risk when that happens because series one and two were sort of dealing with his, his, the fallout of his grief, wasn't it? And then when this vacuum appears, obviously power vacuums makes for an interesting story but it also does mean that you've you you've you've got rid of something that was really enjoyable to watch <laughs> <laughs> so season three sort of picks up a few months after season two and we are we join uh trevor and cypher uh on the road kicking ass basically yeah, Cypher is really having a great time. <laughs> and uh, what I really like about their dynamic is that they've they've become a couple. Hmm. And there's a bit of kind of like, obviously, sort of like fighting and, and squabbling and the way they treat each other is, is, you know, sometimes a little bit bickering. But there's like, it's like there is, there's a couple that, but there's not like, it means that gets rid of the sort of will they, won't they tension. And there's like love and affection, but also understanding and having each other's backs. And it never feels too like showy or like pushed to the fore. It's like they both remain. <laughs> Get the room, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, it's it's like they remain independent, and they remain like powerful, strong characters in respect of each other. You know, but it's not like one of them suddenly you know, Cypher needs saving and Trevor needs to go help her. It's just like they save each other equally throughout whenever there's monster encounters 
they've always got each other's bats and there's an understanding between them and it's just cypher's just like really cool you know yeah i just think it's as refreshing as hell to have and i apologize to all the people sent to hell <laughs> i think it's really refreshing, refreshing i hear <laughs> Ooh, the lake of fire Mm-mm. um i just thought it's so refreshing to have two characters in a relationship and that's that's it there's not a like a fracturing of their relationship you know they it was just super duper supportive in this crazy cartoon about killing vampires and things. I just like there's, there's just scenes where just they're in bed together and just uh, having just woken up, and I was like, oh. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I know Isaac is probably my favorite story and character, but I think I think Cipher is my favorite character because she's got these cool like elemental powers and um she just the vocal performance is so much fun just and i think like usually when it comes to video games i'm like a uh, magician boring mm-hmm. just like spells just seem like really lame as like a concept just like give me a big sword give me a big axe or give me a giant chain whip or whatever yeah. the case I mean, is but flash flashing to playing skyrim you get do you want to be an archer or a, or a barbarian of a sword, or do you want to be a magician where you have to sort of grind your powers so that you, you start the game with the effectiveness of a cigarette lighter, you know? <laughs> with, like, I think Cypher and the presentation of her character, and also just with the action sequences in this, where she is using, you know, ice and fire and lightning, and that sounds, like, kind of lame and obvious when... You know, you just say it out loud, but the way it's presented, it's always incredibly inventive. It's looked really kick-ass the whole time. I think with the action in this, there's a real sort of like heft. Mm. And I know you say maybe it's not as well animated as as season two, but I think you still get a sense of the energy and the weight and of of, th- of the action. I think some of it, is done just as well as before and some of it isn't and i think it's that thing like when you look at cgi and movie in in special effects films and you realize oh some some effects were just a little bit harder to fight for and i think the same goes with this i mean there's a certain there's a, a bit of me which really appreciates how sort of abstract in motion the uh, fights are i mean this is where it'd be really useful to have an animator <laughs> with us to discuss it so I, I do enjoy that it just seems a little less solid a little bit more rushed but you know there's moments in the end of season three where cypher is like freezing the floor and skating across it and it's like bad ass <laughs> and she's you know repulsor firing herself up into the air and yeah, it's like Iron cool. Man. Like Iron Man. And um, I, as I said, I've been playing the NES game featuring Cypher. And that game is very interesting because you can split off. I mean, it's one of those NES games. Like It reminds me of Super Mario Bros. 3 where the first game and the second game look pretty good. And then the third game is like a quantum leap. And the third game of Castlevania has splitting pathways. And you can change characters between Cypher and Alucard depending on whether or not you meet them. And when you're playing a cypher and you counter a waterfall, you can use your freeze power and you freeze the waterfall and you freeze 
if you jump, you can sort of skate along the, wa- the water on your feet. I mean, all mm. that's in the game. So I I do love it when this show, it's just, it just sort of boggles my mind that this is based upon a particular NES game, really, you know? <laughs> you wouldn't believe it, but I'm seeing, um, like, I was so t- just jumping a little bit into season four. It starts with a montage where Trevor and Cypher are doing much as what we're, what we're doing at the start of season three killing monsters but in season four the monsters are like skeletons in armor and yeah those, i was those... so pleased to see the skeletons <sighs> because i do like night crawlers like crawlers i do like night creatures being killed and all but they are pretty well no i was gonna say for generic i would say for the whole portion of them are generic but there's also a lot of creativity there so don't get me wrong but i don't recognize them so much from their games and so yeah just show me a bit your your basic skeleton with a sword, and I'm happy. <laughs> I mean, ever since Jason and the Argonauts, I'm like happy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so the, the whole Trevor and Cypher team, they, they sort of rock into a town. I'm just trying to remember the name of the town. Lindenfeld. Lindenfeld. Uh, and they say hello to Jason Isaacs, who is <laughs> the judge. Didn't sound like him whatsoever, but, but that's maybe a good vocal performance then. I guess so. But apparently he he um he has Castlevania form before. He voiced Satan in the Lords of Shadow games. Oh. In Castlevania Season 4, we meet a character called Varney, voiced by Malcolm McDowell. And I looked that character up. Varney appears in various Castlevania games, including one where he's voiced by Patrick Stewart. And oh. I'm like, oh, Patrick Stewart and Malcolm McDowell are together again. Like in Star Trek Generations, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> so they keep the, they keep themselves in the down low. I kind of I feel like having talked about Cipher, we should talk about Trevor, but I can't. I don't think he's necessarily develops much. He gets maybe more sober. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. But I think I guess whereas Cipher is like this is badass she is really enjoying herself as you say i think trevor is waiting sort of for the shoe to drop and i think actually one of the best moments in season three is the sort of bittersweet ending where they've well i want to say save the village but the village has been sort of decimated and like i think everyone is dead pretty much (laughs) pretty much and there's this uh, line where trevor says Trevor says, we've been spending a few months living your life, adventures and victories. Now we're living my life. Um, and then I've written here, total bullshit. I can't remember if you said total bullshit. I think that's me paraphrasing him saying <laughs> total bullshit. So yeah, maybe his his thing is is trying not to be drawn in. I don't know. But like, re- regardless, I don't, I still enjoy the performance of is it what's his face richard armitage richard armitage do apologize yeah i do enjoy his performance there's just they just take the mickey out of each other they they jokes and uh <laughs> yeah that i think sort of the key thing in the first episode of season three is finally after being on the road for ages trevor gets a beer and mm. he takes one sip says it's better than sets and i love you and cypher it takes issue with that and instantly freezes his beer, which like drops to the <laughs> ground in a splat. <laughs> nice. Shall we buy some food for the road? Really? Yeah. Because we're having fun, right? I admit it. 
I do. You and me. We're doing good things, and it's been pretty far from boring. But also... Lindenfeld is starting to give me the creeps. Do you think they really worship Dracula? They do. Would you both please accompany me? For tea? Uh, I like tea. I don't. I mean, here's the thing about their plotline in season three. They meet an evil as fuck looking uh, high priest called Salah um, with like, um, I think the eye design. It's so funny eyes and animations because you get like little dots like in uh, Rick and Morty, which are like these squiggles. And in Castlevania, everyone has got these kind of boss-eyed saucers, but none more than Salah. And yeah. Salah's thing is like, so so one day, and this is, I think, said outright, maybe in the first or second episode, but one day a demon crashed into our church, into our priory, and ended up in the basement. What happened to the demon? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like, Pretty much. And they spend the whole time Columboing this shit. I mean, actually, there is a, I'm sure, an Easter egg about Columbo, because I think Cypher is talking to some of the um, evil uh, sort of monks and she does turn around with her finger up going just one more thing yeah <laughs> and I think this is after her explaining to them that they wear the mark of hell and they're like oh, oh didn't yeah. you, didn't... Uh, we just thought it was like a cool symbol yeah uh, and so it's like when thing. people draw those like little s's in their school uh, textbooks and <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny I saw a graffiti graffiti of those s's the other day there's there was one and then like half of of another and i don't know if he had been caught by the police or if he just thought this is so fucking lame (laughs) (laughs) i'm tagging i don't know i still like that anyway moving on so this is a season with one with like for their plot line at least no mystery whatsoever i think something evil's happening at the church turns out it is yeah there's no kind of big revelation i mean there's there's little aspects like, oh, they're doing all these weird alchemy symbols around town. What does it all mean? And we we know it's just bad stuff from the get-go. It's just like, how bad is it going to get? Or mm. what's the route to the you know huge calamity that's going to happen? And it turns out, no matter how many evil hints they drop, they still can't save the whole town from being destroyed in the process. But I will say it is kind of... I did still like uh, the plot. I liked the setting of Lindenfeld. I liked mm. the sort of like the mystery, even though it's obvious, but the characters and stuff. I think it's it's a far stronger setting than uh, in season four, the Targa Vishta stuff, which we'll get to. And I think it's obviously season two, they spent most of that trapped in a library. I think actually this gives them kind of fun stuff to do, action to do, a little bit of sleuthing, a little bit of slaying. So I think it's like maybe it may not be the strongest storyline for them in terms of character development or in terms of plot progression, but I think in terms of action setting and what that gives the characters and the way they interact with the judge, etc. I think it 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 has something more to it than maybe some of the other stuff they get up to. 
I mean, this was this was vaunted as being very influenced by sort of H.P. Lovecraft this season, and you know, a literal Cthulhu appears in the final <laughs> battle. So yeah, it, it deals with sort of cosmic horror more than um, bloody horror, and so so much of H.P. Lovecraft writings is like people have been sort of insidiously manipulated by a higher power. So. I did. A, I did one of my favorite bits. I think it was in the sort of penultimate episode of season three, was when I think the wall was pulled down from Salah's eyes, and I think um, the the visitor they call it is this giant, the demon in the basement of the priory, um, sucks all the souls from the village into itself, giving it the power to open this cosmic link called the Infinite Corridor. And Salah, suddenly the penny drops and he says, what the fuck is that? (laughs) (laughs) And it's like the, I mean, this show does play fast and loose with the swears, but that character hadn't swore. So it was very amusing. Yeah, I guess in terms of like the swearing too, how at the start of season four, Cypher finally says shit. And like Trevor's like really taken aback by her swearing. It's just like you've you've turned me into someone who says shit. Mm. In fact, my other favorite bit of of dropping swears. I don't even even think it was a swear, but um, at the end of series three, um, one of the vampire sisters, Lenore, reveals that she's been sort of she's basically turned Hector into a slave with like a magic ring, and she's been doing all this kind of behind the backs of her other sisters. And I think Camilla, who's been like the master, or yeah, the mastermind of everything so far, just goes bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's some great voice acting in this. Such a cast. I mean, talking about cast, we've got in Trevor and Cipher's story in season three, the one and only Bill Nye playing. Now it's spelt Saint Germain, but is it Saint Germain? Saint Germain, I Saint suppose. Germain. Is it? Saint-Germain, Saint-Germain, whatever. That's, that's how it's pronounced by whoever deigns to say it. And I think um, it is becomes a very crucial character across both of these seasons. And it is a joy to have someone like Bill Nye in this. I mean, you know, we've had, you know, a, a good cast from the get-go with this series. But it's like undeniably Bill Nye, which makes yeah. everything he says. It's, it's one of those things where I... I don't know if he ever really truly inhabits the character, but then it does mean you get to hear Bill Nye say like crazy things about Dracula and, you know, just deliver all these like pithy asides and talk about accidentally inventing absinthe and waking up naked three weeks later in Latvia and, you know, all these kind of little sort of jokey bits and pieces which are so funny i still i think my vision of bill nye is so connected to things like love actually and like everyone loves bill nye if anything and so my brain was going what's bill nye doing in this thing with all these vampires and i thought oh you mean bill nye from underworld do you mean (laughs) bill nye from Shaun of the dead where he plays a zombie he's like he likes his genre stuff just as much so no i do agree i feel like they wrote this character thinking we could we need a bill nye type and someone said, what about Bill Nye? And and there he is. And the Sanchiman character is from the games. I mean, it's it's based on a real person uh, who existed. 
um, but they uh, make their appearance in the games in Curse of Darkness, which actually is a sequel to Castlevania 3, um, released later on the PlayStation 2, set a few years after the events of Castlevania 3. And in that game, you play as Hector, um, mm. and you're going up against Isaac, and Saint-Germain is one of the kind of secondary characters in that. But the original... Saint-Germain did exist, and we see him. He's kind of a an alchemist, itinerant magician, going from place to place, court to court, city to, to city, sort of gathering knowledge and trying to basically attain all knowledge and, and solve the great puzzles of the world. And the triangular book that he's writing in is actually a book that exists by oh. this fabled Saint-Germain. I see. It seemed like the most inconvenient thing to write in. <laughs> but I think it's the idea of the triangle is that it's a very sort of a cultist symbol and, and it's basically like a kind of very fancy triangular grimoire, which um, does actually exist. But in a nutshell, he's quite entertaining. I did sort of, in a similar fashion to what I was saying with Trevor and Cypher, I did find it amusing, but I did sort of bump against how... He was so bad at being subtle about investigating what was going on in the basement. And yet (laughs) the monks still were kind of letting him do his thing. Uh, And I guess them being mad gives us a lot of leeway, I suppose. I just was knocking against the fact that Germain would go into the Priory. He would sort of manage to chance his way into the Priory. And he's a chance, so it's very funny. And he would find in this sort of... (laughs) He found these in this pile of books, like an evil book with specific rituals ripped out of it. And he basically takes it to Salah and says, have you seen this? Have you seen how someone, and the only people in this church is pretty much you, but someone's ripped out these evil demon resurrection passages and the the rips, look, the rips are fresh. And the the Salah just goes, oh, how how about that? (laughs) But yeah, it's also I. I also don't understand why he's presenting it to Salah. Like, never... if you find something like that, you'd be like, "Oh shit!" Like they're clearly doing something evil. You wouldn't be like, "Hey, are you doing the evil thing I just discovered?" Yeah. And yet they still tolerate his presence. It's, these guys are so trying, these guys are obviously preparing a human sacrifice. Let's go and find them in a in a dark room when no one can, no one knows where I am. The thing is, is that like they welcome into the the priory. And they basically say, okay, you can look around here, but you can't go down into the basement. But the room that they present him into, the main kind of like hall of the Priory, it still has blood and shit everywhere and an upside down Christ, which they remark as saying, <laughs> maybe he's even pointing in the right direction now. Uh-huh. And it's just like, like, that's not suspicious. I know. Maybe just literally everyone acted in a creepy, weird way back then. <laughs> um, yeah there's that's... a whole lot of bunch of weird creepy shit that people are doing in the show i mean we we re- find out later that the judge this like noble figure of the town's people has actually got a an apple tree out in the forest with a hidden spike pit and he's been sending small children who run around too much to go and pick a juicy apple from that tree and basically killing a bunch of children in the process and stealing their yeah. shoes as mementos I, I had i don't know how i felt about that by which i mean killing children's wrong <laughs> <laughs> but it seems a, a, a little bit well 
I was going to say it felt a little bit unnecessary, but I guess we're kind of wrapping up our season three. I have to admit, when I first watched season three a year ago, I I was I felt very impatient because everyone is tr- the reason why this monster is in the basement is is another way to try and resurrect Dracula, and I was and I just. As soon as Dracula dies, you think, when are they going to resurrect him? I don't want him to rest. I want him to live. And I guess I was expecting this whole season for Dracula to show up and he doesn't. Like there's a there's a shot of Dracula in hell, but that's all all's you're getting in season three. So I was a little bit bummed out by season three, especially because, as we've talked about, the, the mystery is so flipping obvious. But watching it a second time, I really enjoyed it. And so this reveal that even the judge, this pillar of order in the community, even the judge is an evil shit, I think, again, contributes to that tone at the end of the season where everything's a bit sad and and bittersweet. We haven't even sort of mentioned the other sort of third hero yet, mm. but that that's sort of reflected in Alucard, who is son of dracula and dracula's love (laughs) and uh and dracula's love lisa and it was lisa's uh, execution in targovista uh which is a setting for season four as well which basically kit started the whole um dracula's revenge of of this uh tv show but uh alucard is is i think the start of sort of season three where he's at is really beautiful it's he's just on his own, the Dracula's castle is um, stuck in this one place. It can't teleport like it used to. And he's just very lonely. He's created little dolly versions of Trevor and Cypher to kind of so chat to. Which is so beautiful. It's so funny. Because it's the humour. It's the humour we love about Castlevania. I think that's really important. It's really, really funny. Yeah. I th- and yeah, he does pretty good impressions of them as well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just that kind of like that stillness, that loneliness, the emptiness of not having just sort of killed your father, but, you know, just the castle itself. I mean, every time they say castle on this TV show, drink a, your beverage or whatever, because <laughs> you can't have a show called Castlevania without a whole bunch of castle mm. stuff happening. It is a shame no one peeks around the corner and breathes the word, Vania. <laughs> oh, this is my lonely castle. Who said that? <laughs> what a fucking stupid name for a show and game series, Castlevania. <laughs> Flipping I like it. I know it's perfect, but it's still like sometimes to step back and be like, hmm. I mean, I just imagine seeing that on the title page of your scripts and like Bill Nye's like, oh, I'm in a show called Castlevania. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Trevor? I think I hate everything and everybody, so I'm going to get drunk on beer that's been brewed in an old sheep carcass, and then I'm going to stick my tiny penis in a dead dog I found in a ditch to make hay babies or something, because I am actually more stupid than mud. You are a horrible, terrible person, and many other words for horrible and terrible, because I know all the words because I'm smarter than everybody, and one day I will go back to live with my flippin' family in a cart which makes me better than everyone. You will all die in a fire, a big one. Oh my god, I am losing my mind. 
It's only been a month. I think. But yeah, he's uh, super duper lonely, but then he's joined by a couple of friends. <laughs> uh, Taka and Sumi. And in a nice bit of continuity from season two, uh, they are from Japan and they were under the thumb of one of the vampire lords who showed up in season two. And I don't think that vampire had any dialogue, but she had the sort of, I guess, empress aesthetic. And they've got a really horrible backstory, don't they, Subi and, and Taka? They just watch her toy with her food and, and it's, it's a really grisly. And I think we mentioned this in our first review of Castlevania. It's, it does have a lot of blood, but I think it manages to skirt the, the line of not making gore badass. And we've talked about people being badasses in this, but when people die in in this and it's horrible, it is that is meant to be conveyed. Yeah, it's 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 deliberately unpleasant and grisly when it wants to be. One thing we didn't mention really in our Mortal Kombat re- review, which I touched on, I mean, we talked about how uh, Kung Lao, he, he's like the only hero who does sort of like a fatality and sort of slices somebody in half. And it just made me realize, you know, we just casually accepted something a psychopath would do. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it was all for the fate of Earth. I guess so, but... As I say, I, I just Jesus didn't... Christ, <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ indeed. It's like, like a Jesus, Jesus Christ, turn thou. But yeah, so um, the Taka and Sumi. Did you realize they were going to turn on Alucard? Because for me, it seemed real surprise, and I think that sort of contributed to my low feelings about season three the first time I saw it. But I want to know what you thought. Yeah, I, I sort of um like. In this penultimate episode, there's like this, as I said, crisscrossing between these different threads, and it's like this. I, t- big... I called I, I called this episode Castle Hornier because <laughs> there's a a lot of sexy time in this episode and crisscrossing into cutting, as you said. Yeah, it's sets and violence, it's sweat and blood. It's all happening all at once, effectively. So. It makes it very hard for the kids watching to uh, press pause in the right spot when mum and dad accidentally walk in. <laughs> um, because it's either going to be someone's like face being ripped off or a bunch of sweaty boobs. Um, a bunch of boobs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's sort of like it's doing that because in both instances we have Lenore and Hector getting it on and then we have like Alucard being... Uh, having an orgy with Sumi and Taka, but in both cases, the sets has been used to get what they want. In Lenore's case, it's to basically take control of Hector and make him loyal to uh, the vampire sisters so that any night riches he creates will therefore be loyal to them rather than him. And at the same time, Sumi and Taka then, well, Sumi and Taka restrain Alucard and I don't know, like, uh, I think the whole, like, Sumi and Taka arc, I get why it's there. It's to make Alucard feel like he can trust other people again, and then that trust is then taken away from him, and it ends up with him killing Sumi and Taka and sticking them outside Castle Dracula on 
like like daddy used to do and impaling mm. them on spikes um but it did feel like a real term because they're basically just like you're withholding knowledge from us so give it to us and it's just like yeah i'll get round to it guys I but know, like I no think, we want it now i think it's very well, odd. F- first of all i think if mum and dad did come in while you're watching this scene we now know that they should just i would invite them in sit them down and we'll watch it to the end and you'll see how sex is bad and wrong and leads to heartbreak <laughs> <laughs> um Taka and Sumi, they just came across really nice and understanding. And it's that weird thing where they're having conversations amongst themselves where they're like, yeah, we really need to help him. And then in the middle of sex, they decide that they're really impatient pricks. And like Alucard is just saying, just a little bit of patience. I don't I I think they're there for longer than a week, but it feels like they've only been there for like a week. And he's like, there's all the knowledge in the world to defeat vampires. And I'll tell you everything you need to know. I'm going to make you into slayers. Have you seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer? It's a really great show from like made by somebody else's problematic. So we'll get along great. Um, Yeah, it just seems like such an unnecessary turn. They just needed to wait a little bit longer. You know, funny enough, they wanted to skip the foreplay and go straight to making to the crying. <laughs> um, oh, the regret! But yeah, it, I mean, I guess it does serve a purpose. I mean, it does have a purpose in that it makes Alucard feel ever more alone. But it sort of does mean he starts season four much in the same way, way as he starts season three. And in a way, yeah, it doesn't actually change things too much because he gets a message that this town dynasty is being overrun by night creatures. Can he help? And then he kind of just like goes and helps them. So it's, it's, it's not like his mistrust of humans or helping people really like impacts in any way. It's a shame because I like the Alucard character and I feel like all the other threads I enjoyed in season three, his one, as much as I like the sort of loneliness at the start, I don't really think it it really did anything very useful with him it did him a little bit of a disservice i mean i i understand the desire to not keep repeating yourself i mean i think it would have been very easy to try and orchestrate away that alucard and cypher and trevor just go around the country together but so i i understand the sort of the reasoning behind keeping them separate, which allows, I guess, a broader range of stories. But yeah, I don't think much was really, I mean, for served. I think a part of me, I mean, if you if you plucked Alucard right out of season three, then he doesn't really serve a purpose. And I kind of feel that we don't really get to see Alucard shine. Mm. I was going to say, we don't get to see him shine until he meets up with Trevor and Cypher again. But actually he does have a lot of, he does have some nice stuff when his humanity is coming out with the villages of this town you mentioned, when they all decide to move to Dracula's castle. Yeah, so this I'm changing where... the dress cards. Dracula's <laughs> castle. <laughs> so this is where some of like the threads from season three like coalesce, and that Alucard goes to a, to this village and meets Greta of of Dynasty. But while he's there, he also meets Saint Germain who has, in the interim, he disappeared into this infinite corridor. You mentioned this of cosmic horror, and his whole quest has been to find this infinite corridor on his big alchemy mission. 
in order to find this one person uh, that he loved and then lost in the infinite corridor. She kind of wears a mustard jumpsuit. She looks a bit like April O'Neil from Teenage Turtles. Imagine if that's the crossover. I mean, there's a moment uh, in season three when he has this dream in, and he's like inside the infinite corridor mm. and we see through these windows alternate universes or, or times, I really should say, but you see like mechs. You see, you get like, futuristic in max in your castlevania yeah and that's proper awesome stuff and just visually it's like colors which you don't really see together usually probably because of epilepsy or something <laughs> but i did see there was a strobe warning effect for the, like the final oh. or penultimate episode of season four but at the end of season three he yells to uh, trevor and cypher he kind of implies i'm in the corridor this is where i want to be you'll see me again but I did not expect him to show up. I thought that was going to be one of those. I thought there's nowhere for a story to really go. So if they do meet up, I'm going to imagine it's going to be way after the show's ended. But no, he, mm. he stumbles out of an outhouse, doesn't he? <laughs> Pretty after, much. After an attack. And I was, I was delighted to see him. And um, we then get the sort of backstory about Saint-Germain. And when you return to it, Alucard like blinks and it does sound like he's literally just described verbatim like 10 minutes of script. And Alucard is like, oh, is that my cue? Hi. <laughs> yeah, I, I think yeah, when he went back into the Infinite Corridor at the end of season three, he meets this alchemist figure in this like MC Escher library world where he last left his love. And she basically kind of says, your princess is in another castle. <laughs> um, and the only way to to control the infinite corridor and in order to find his love is uh, to sacrifice himself, commit himself to alchemy like he should do. And he needs to create a rebus, which is two souls combined, chaos and order, in order to control the corridor and in so doing he researches more about it and there's a bit where he kills someone and he kind of breaks the seal of madness and goes a little bit screwy in the process so the San Germain that we you know the cheerful knockabout um mostly harmless dude from season three we've encountered has now got a plot to locate Dracula's castle because it all revolves around resurrecting Dracula in order to complete some goal or task in order to get back to this love of his who has never said a word to him <laughs> at least we never see her speak or anything so yeah. we don't really get any idea of that relationship it, it doesn't count as fridging if they don't speak and have no personality <laughs> <laughs> um but that's why he's back on the scene and sort of encourages alucard to to take the refugees of dynasty and, and to Saint-Germain... his castle and Saint-Germain is also, though, in communications with Varney, who's this new character for season four. And he's kind of, I guess, I guess like a Jack Sparrow type, like a self-aggrandizing vampire lord who he's also in communication with Isaac as well. So as the season progresses, you think, oh, what's this, what's this game? I do find it funny how they're all communicating with magic mirrors because... Isaac getting a magic mirror was like a big deal in series three. There's this whole sequence of um, some sort of shopkeeper who gifts it to him. And it's like, it's, it's 
one of those wonderful sort of fantasy tropes where you receive this enchanted item because it speaks to you or whatever. And then it's pretty much treated like Skype in season four <laughs> to the point that Isaac hangs up on Varney and Varney's like, he fucking hang up to me. Yeah. Um, and he's like saying, magic mirror, whatever, don't let him call me again. Just like yeah, block, send block. <laughs> block caller. I don't recognize this number. Um, <laughs> yeah. You mirror who dis? <laughs> yeah. I've been speaking with magicians and scholars across the land both vampire and human, working together to collect ancient spells and lore, constructing a system with which to pluck Dracula from hell and reinstall him in the world with power. To what end? He has unfinished business, sir. He owes us death. Death in volumes unprecedented. His great work remains incomplete. So does mine, Vani. Is yours as important as the extinction of the race that killed his wife? The race that you yourself hate? It is to me. Afterwards, we will see. I expected better than that of Dracula's favorite Forgemaster. Then, come daylight, you can wriggle in your little coffin with disappointment. But do it quietly, as I do not wish to hear your voice again until my own task is complete. Sir Mera, do not allow this one to call me again and go to sleep. Fuck you. Ah, he cut me off. I think you bored him. Doesn't he know who I am? Oh, for God's sake. I'm Varney, Varney of London, since before it was London. I was mighty when London was a Roman ghost town and we still marked our borders out with human skulls. Fuck him. We'll do it without him. Gotta say, I found Varney kind of annoying. And in all this, all very sung the praises of like the talky scenes you've had together. There is a, I think that particular episode with the magic mirror, he's he's talking about what he wants to do. And not only is it kind of boring, but it also, I guess, turned out to be a bit redundant because Varney ain't who he says he is. But he's, as we said, played by Malcolm McDowell and he's always fun to listen to. Yeah, I, I don't think it's the most sort of interesting character or portrayal, but um, Malcolm McDowell's got like a great voice. And whether it matches the character or not, I don't know, but it's just fun to hear him just swear a lot and complain about no one treating him uh, <laughs> like they should do based on his apparently legendary status of being Varney of Landon. Hmm. <laughs> I think the opening episode seven of season four varney's just talking with his accomplice this other vampire called ratko and there's just like this sick bit of dialogue where it's just all this like vampire macho bullshit um mm. which is a bit sort of plodding and dull to get through and i think the reason why it kind of sticks out even more is because it's just after this big battle sequence in episode six which is the culmination of the carmilla storyline and her whole plot and with her accomplices, uh, her, her kind of council of sisters, where she has Lenore, who we've mentioned, who's the kind of diplomatic one, who has been basically tasked to bring Hector on board in order mm. to create an army of night creatures for them. And then you have Marana, who's the kind of strategist. You have Striga, who's sort of like the 
the general of the armies. Um, and Carmilla, whose great plan is to basically take over the whole of Wallachia and create this sort of corridor of livestock of humans where they'll seal off the borders with their forces because everyone's scattered and gone crazy because of, um, as you say, the power vacuum that's been left by Dracula and all these night creatures terrorizing the uh, territory. And they'll basically just create this pen uh, in which to feed off of humans for all uh, eternity. So you have this plot where they want to create this vampire empire, effectively. And it's this whole idea that it's, it's ruling this territory. It's four women vampires against a bunch of stupid old men. And I think that's like a really interesting, strong um, dynamic. And I kind of like the interaction between the sisters and individually. I think they're interesting uh, characters and I like the performances um, themselves. I think this kind of unfortunate thing is that season four, Carmela reveals it's more about world domination and it just kind of makes it so easy to... Like, she's an evil person, don't get me wrong. She wants to still kill lots of humans and everything, but it just makes it a bit too easy to make her, like, evil and hateful all over again after this kind of, like, strong idea of putting right the world against the men that kind of, like, you know, like Dracula, etc., that have sort of yeah, pushed maybe she, her she, to she one side. To cartoon super villainy like Doctor Colossus, because um, I, I guess like you could say again with what people said about Game of Thrones and the Daenerys character, etc. Well, I saw a lot more of again slight spoilers for season eight of Game of Thrones. I saw a lot more Cersei Lannister because Carmilla in season four kind of disappears, and I can imagine she's just staring out of a window drinking wine throughout until she has her big death scene. I'm talking about Camilla here. Yeah, I have to admit, season four, for me, felt like a real step down for a multitude of reasons, actually. Um, I still think, though, it's super duper enjoyable. And, you know, I think it's a maybe a big, too big a question to answer right now. But I mean, is this the best video game adaptation ever? Quite possibly. Um, but I think the plot of season three with the sisters they're scheming and i love how they delight in you know oh camilla's got a scheme oh god she's called it a scheme has she it's like <laughs> that sort of vibe and it's like really funny and um so we follow like striga and Morana who are in a relationship and they're like giggling about the schemes but they i think but all three sisters Morana, striga and lenore quite think see the sense in Carmilla's plan just to create a bit of stability to create this food supply and and that's it but um yeah the the promise of season three I think does like dissipate when you realize Carmilla wants to take over the world and and maybe in, in a meta sort of way ever we all know this is like the end of season four so we well we know she's not going to take over the world is she so um so in season four, um, Morana and Striga, they go off to start to, to lay the groundwork for this human pen and their armies. And after like one battle, which was pretty badass because you've got Striga in her day armor when she opens a chest 
and says day armor like, yeah and kind of looks like nightmare and soul caliber yeah she's got this massive sword and although i talked about like distasteful gore earlier i think this is one bit where i guess it's because they're being attacked by humans there's a lot of pitchfork action in this season in these shows actually i remember most of the time vampires with massive swords and deadly weapons are against people with pitchforks but anyway she's a real badass she comes back into the tent and they kind of just give up i think they probably just didn't think it that far ahead because it's just like daylight attack oh yeah (laughs) Um, how are we gonna pen in all those humans if uh we die in daylight (laughs) whoops yeah, it turns out vampires have got quite a lot of flaws. Like, they, they go to a town to invade it, and all the churches have crucifixes. So they're like, ah, oh, bollocks! Let's close your eyes. Although, at one point, Trevor does say in season four that it's not the crosses, which yes. the faith in the cross that vampires are afraid of. It's actually they just don't like big geometric shapes in their face. That's kind of funny, but I do like it when they go into the nitty-gritty of the lore of, of how this particular form of vampire works and what night beasts are. I mean, I think part of the reason why I found um, fly eyes so flies eyes so interesting is that gave you a little bit of window into how these sort of faceless generic hell beasts operate. I mean, there's just a, a few scant moments where we're following flies eyes, just interacting with other night creatures and that's just all you need to like really excite the imagination. I think that's that geometric shape you mentioned is like another iconic weapon from the video games, which is like a mm-hmm. boomerang cross type device. And so you better believe when I saw that, I was like, oh, it's the cross, it's the cross. Oh my God, when is it going to boomerang? <laughs> and I think that's like part of Trevor's development as well is that, yeah, he's sobering up, but he's also all this knowledge that his family had it's all kind of coming back to him a bit. He's mm. like beaten down, drunk himself to oblivion. And it's just like, actually, you know, I could sort of just, if I was a bit sharper and stuff, I'd be a lot better at hunting monsters than I mm. am. And I think you see that progression with like the action that he does. Like I think in the first season or two, he's a bit kind of like punchy and sloppy and and things. And, you know, they still get beaten down uh, a lot. And, you know, pretty much most encounters with monsters they leave with cuts and bruises and wanting to sleep for a year to sort of recover yeah and one thing to remember is that when the show started the belmont name was kind of like hated by all both in this and in the game cypher we have a real chance to make life better for our children than it was for us for once it could be better for all our children She's good. I know. You're in real trouble. (sighs) What are you going to call the village? New Dynasty? I thought we might call it Belmont. That should confuse everybody. I think I'd like to live in a place called Belmont. So, so Trevor is already dead. They even cut the music out of the penultimate episode of season nine, which makes you think that means somebody's dead. 
That's but, it. When TV shows do that, it's a moment of silence. Exactly. But no, he he, he turns out he was, he was apparently hiding somewhere for two weeks after apparently dying. But by the way, the town was going to be named Belmont. And so Belmont is like a heroic name. And this is all a prequel to the first Castlevania game, of course. So both and, and the NES game, it's sort of, there's, you know, not exactly a cinematic, but at the end of the NES game, there's text to say, that the Belmont name will be celebrated here on in. And he does have a development at the end, by the end of season four, having fought death and all that. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Trevor and Cypher plot, I, the their return to Targovishta is is not very interesting. No. Um, they ha- There's this whole talk of this underground court, which just seems like a lot of filler to get to, to get them back to... Uh, Dracula's castle effectively just hidden in this court is this big mirror which Varney is also looking for and they happen to kind of like find it at the same time as Varney finds the underground court as when Trevor and Cypher enter the court itself Varney leaps through the mirror to meet up with San Germain who's trying to resurrect Dracula and Trevor and Cypher follow suit that that's the thing the, the dynamic of the trio as you say like distancing themselves from each other is is like a good tactic um to tell more stories but you know when the gang's all back together it's like vampire hunters fucking assemble it's <laughs> yeah it does pick up the last few episodes or whenever with they're whenever they're back in the they're not in back Dracula's in the castle they're back in the, what, what, which castle they're in dracula's castle dracula's yeah. castle <laughs> but no again no, it needs to pick up because the characters are back together but you get our heroes running down corridors, killing beasties. And I think all it could use is somebody whip cracking a candlestick and like a heart pops out of it. Uh, I think there might've been a joke I used the last <laughs> thing. But <laughs> well, you, know, you get that in the, in the powerhouse animation logo at the end. You know, they have a fight with some more vampire. They're fighting vampire lords, bosses in like rooms full of cogs. They're all using their powers together. It's like it's 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 poetry. <laughs> it's, it, um, they get to the top of the castle, and apparently, the guy pulling all the strings—I I think just in this season—but the big bad is death himself, sort of, because and now crucially, death, the Green Reaper, shows up as bosses throughout the games of Castlevania. Again, been playing. A, I've been trying to defeat him a lot today, <laughs> but apparently, trying to beat death is hard. So it turns out death was also masquerading as the uh, um, alchemist who mm-hmm. convinced Saint Germain to um, commit himself to the cause. He was also as Varney, and for some reason, best known to himself, like death said, "I know, I'll, I'll masquerade as this really annoying vampire." <laughs> and have a pissy fit with Isaac over the over. I was going to say over the internet, but you know what I mean. It's sort of not really the Grim Reaper. He says he describes himself as sort of a creature which eats what gets released when you die. So he is like a soul sucker, really. And there's I, I, I quite soul sucker, soul sucker. And you know, I'm sure I have that blatsploitation movie exists. <laughs> there's. I there's something unlike about how it takes something that was presented perhaps in 
Castlevania season three, where they they use the souls of the villagers to power the infinite corridor. So we've already seen that sort of not just blood, but souls provide some sort of like supernatural energy. But the big plan to release to to resurrect Dracula seems to be something along the lines of death needs Dracula because Dracula wants to kill the world. And if he kills the world, like all the souls from that will go into death's tummy. <laughs> <laughs> and little did he know that somewhere else Carmilla's doing the same thing. Could have probably just like tapped Carmilla for that. Well, I think Carmilla wanted to rule the world. Maybe that's the crucial thing. She didn't want to yeah. kill everyone. But of course, a lot yeah, of people still die. A, yeah, I think there's there's still enough for death to, to fill his just, tummy up with. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's it's impressively bonkers. And I like the visuals of the fight. It's Because it's none more video gamey when you've got a little man of a whip running up against like a skyscraper-sized skull-headed monster of death. I mean, I'm, I just felt like death, mate, death. You can probably find other ways to do this <laughs> it just felt like i think he does drop a line where he's a hand wavy line where he says he can't directly call, kill people to he, he, he can't wish for more wishes in that sort of way you know yeah only human hands can reach into hell so yeah. that's why he needs saint germain to do this deed and and it has to be in Alucard's childhood room because that's where Alucard killed dracula and he needs to have a divine hermaphrodite stitched together by a bunch of magic vampires in order for <laughs> the souls of Dracula and Lisa to enter this rebus and create an enraged, monsterized Frankenstein's creature version of both Dracula and Lisa, which will wipe out the human race. It is a bit of a roundabout route mm. to get to just more I mean, people dying. If he just magicked all the railings away and people just fall off stairs all the time, he'd get... That'd be a way to do it. You know, what happens when all of life is dead? I mean, it'd be like going to like an all-you-can-eat buffet. It's going to fill you up a lot, but then you're still going to have lunch the next day. <laughs> That's not how bodies work. A very interesting, interesting in that thought process. <laughs> Death at an all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I guess... So that is that question. What is he going to do? He says you'll never go hungry again, but like if he kills everyone, you're going to get hungry. But I don't know. I'm, going to, I'm just going to default to the madman. <laughs> but yeah, it just seems a bit messy. I mean, we've gone from the end of season to where the her heroes need to defeat Dracula because Dracula's gone insane. Season three has, I guess... I, I don't know. It's it's a little bit more nebulous. But yeah, I guess, you know, if they did want to have a big bag at the end of season four, might as well be death. But yeah, we don't get... come bigger or badder than death. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I can imagine like season five, they probably just killed God for letting death happen. I don't know. But um... well, I think it's I think Satan's the next step. Oh, yeah. Satan. What's he be doing while all this is happening? Presiding over hell. But yeah, like. But what happens? Does he just like, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> I mean, literally, uh, all, the, all my demon souls, they keep on getting resurrected as night creatures. There's barely anyone here anymore. Yeah. I know that Isaac talks about how hell will be emptied and you'll hear the rattling of the doors and the wind. He calls over to Dracula and says, are you still there, Dracula? And he's like, <laughs> yes. Okay. Not been resurrected yet. 
Not yet, no. <laughs> but it must be pretty boring down there once hell is on Earth. It's just like, oh, there's just no one to play with anymore. My last note in season four was, despite me feeling it being pretty meh and the emotion not being tr- truly earned, I couldn't help but feel emotional. And I think it's down to the characters because they've been a lot of it. You, you enjoy being with them. As I said, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but like quite impressive visuals, but I, I wasn't quite connecting with him killing death. And, and so when that, when that, when, <laughs> I mean, I, I can't, is he all that bad? <laughs> but no, I mean, you get, you get the empty, you get the credits music. So the lack of credits music when he dies, I'm like, no, oh, okay. I guess maybe it's because I was binging it. You know, maybe if I had a week, I'd be like, oh no, what's happened to Trevor? Trevor's dead. So season four, episode 10, um, entitled It's Been a Strange Ride, which I think is a great final uh, episode name. Um, Sort of dealing with the aftermath that sort of village around Dracula's castle was rebuilding. Cypher has sort of not really been talking. But um, not things haven't really finished in Styria, have they? Uh, because Isaac, see, it's, it was written here like a twist, wasn't? I, I don't know. Depending on who what, whose reviews and things I've been looking at, it's been sort of revealed as a twist that Isaac attacked Styria. I don't know if that's really what vibe. I, I, I kind of. I like, think it was his whole quest was to get to Styria to get was, to Hector. Yeah. And he makes that very clear throughout. <laughs> yeah. Harry, I think I might have missed that. I must have been looking at my phone when Rory says, yeah, he mentioned it multiple times. That was this whole thing. I don't know. I guess it was a bit of a surprise when he opened the portal right above the castle in Styria. And I guess does a, a surprise attack on, on, I guess, Camilla and Lenora are in the castle while um, the other Marana sisters... and Streeter are out. Yeah, they're yeah. out sort of giving up on the whole enslaving livestock thing. <laughs> I feel like I'm very much like the way I'm talking, I'm like, I just want the vampires to enslave the human race. And I think and maybe I'm very much like Dracula himself. It's like, oh, humanity is too sick to survive. <laughs> but um, Don't blame me. I voted for Kodos. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, Isaac, because he's a badass, he sort of manages to take over the the castle although he was sort of flipping around all the time and i was just thinking so what if he did sort of slip and kill himself what would his army of demons do they'll be like uh, hmm. um i guess we'll go back to that ghost town we created <laughs> but i mean i feel like i'm glancing over this but like i said camilla barely features in the season she ends up being surrounded and just rather than being killed she kills herself <laughs> and then isaac he says, I'm starting to think Dracula didn't run things well, is a line he says, which I thought was amazing. <laughs> but he also says, the last line of that episode of the big siege of the castle, he says, I'm going to live. And I wrote down, this means he's going to die. But lo and behold, we get to the end of the season. And no, he he is making good on his promise. He's he was, he was there to really revenge himself upon Hector. But when he gets to Hector, he realizes that Hector must have suffered under his captors, under his captors. And he said, I guess, I guess he's had his fill of, Isaac's had his fill of mindless violence after <laughs> destroying several towns. 
Well, I think he's just like, uh, you know, he's come to this sort of realization and sort of says that he's not here to kill Hector. Revenge is for children. Um, he, he realizes that he never thought he had a future until now. And he feels like both of them have changed. It's time to let Dracula sleep. He's earned his rest. We can do more than that. We can do more than just resurrect Dracula and start all over again. It's time to move forward and, yeah, have a future. And that future involves tours. killing Carmilla. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> it's a tours of the castle, gift shops, a cafe. Yeah, um, I mean, that's like signing up with Styrian Heritage or the National mm-hmm. Trust of Styria. Yeah, opening hours midnight onwards. <laughs> Night so. creature rides. Not exactly. <laughs> Ride a night creature. So, <laughs> I used to be a philosopher. Shut up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So I'm, I'm apparently we're tired of experts. And so, <laughs> I used to be a philosopher. <laughs> Quiet. <laughs> Timmy wants his ride. <laughs> Have another berry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um but it leaves us with Hector kind of expecting that Isaac would take his revenge on him. It now leaves him questioning, well, what do I do next? And he sort of thinks, oh, maybe I'll just write a book about every every crazy bit of shit that happened to me. Yeah. I'm going to write um, a primer strategy guide on beating <laughs> Castlevania. <laughs> um, but it does leave this awkward question where it's just like oh what does this mean for us and Lenore and they haven't always had the best relationship that you know he's been abused and put in a prison and sort of manipulated into sex and loyalty and and stuff but I guess there's still this like care that he has for her but you know her life has been spared but she's effectively trapped in this castle and so she decides to go and see the sunlight that everyone's been raving about <laughs> and uh, commits herself to dust <laughs> yeah, five star review to, um... even though it's just one star uh are you talking about isaac's styrian castle pleasure dome or <laughs> talking about great sunrises not um yeah i mean i did talk over you a bit but she she luckily she sit she goes into the sunlight and it has like the the very quickest vampire sunlight death I've seen because yes the it, most sort of beautiful dusting that she disappears <laughs> yeah rather like, than like horrible I've get, I've changed my mind flesh. I've changed my mind <laughs> um give me a wet towel <laughs> um yeah I mean actually we've we've barely talked about uh, Lenore and Hector but I really enjoyed this through line which begins in series season three. She is the diplomat, as you said, and she is kind of the baby of the group and she's there to talk. And there's this great moment, though, where because of her sort of childlike demeanor, like Hector, like grabs her and tries to get to try to escape. But then she completely and he completely overpowers him and humiliates him. And she says something along the lines of just because I, I look and sound like this, people think I'm weak, but I'm not weak. You're not going to make this mistake again. But I do think they develop a mutual respect. And then it does have this sort of betrayal where she does that magic ring on him. So I quite enjoyed Lenore 
being this master schemer and but then i feel like lenore gets a bit dumb in series four and that's sort of by design because now that she's got hector on on board she doesn't need to do any of the diplomacy and she does lament how you know if we enslave the world and, and just do battle with everyone there's still no need for diplomacy maybe she's a bit naive because like when have vampires ever needed diplomacy i guess the various vampire lords did but then why didn't she show up with carmilla to track this castle because the character hadn't been written yet harry that's why <laughs> <sighs> it seems the time when diplomacy was required for anything has passed ah so you're bored no you're worried shush Lenore, are they sidelining you? They're not... It's not like that. Or at least they wouldn't think of it like that. Our lives have entered a new phase. Diplomacy and negotiations, these are things of the past now. Hmm. Which makes you a thing of the past, and that is bothering you. Look. Carmilla's plan buys us security for hundreds of years. So I was, again, a bit disappointed how, I guess, hey, that's that word again, her agency kind of dissipated. And they do talk about this, though. I mean, Hector kind of, even though he's a slave, he has found a purpose. He not only is creating this army of night creatures for Carmilla, but he himself are putting these little telltale sort of traps around the castle like vampire trapping traps around the castle so i guess he's got a bit of momentum in his life but um but the whole the way this season and the show wraps up is this kind of what happens next like hector thought he was going to die now he thinks he's got the gnaw and or sort of kills herself effectively and it's now just well i guess i'll write a book then it's it's and that that sort of feeds into Alucard and Trevor and Cypher. They've got this village. They've started something, but they just have no idea what happens next. What do we do? Like we've spent this whole life fighting against monsters. We're fighting against Dracula. Cypher says, "I think we finally won." And Alucard's, "I'm weirdly happy about about things." But it's it's. I think it's a nice place to leave those characters um it starts a detective agency (laughs) um because it's kind of it's one of those things where it's like a happy ending but there's like this big uncertainty and question mark it doesn't feel like the end um but at the same time i don't really you know need to know what happens next like cypher's pregnant we assume there'll be a baby belmont on the way um and baby belmont (laughs) um and that may feed into future stories if um uh you know they've got the lore of the of the belmont family tree to to draw upon because that isn't the actual end of the season is it because we get another scene we get dracula and lisa they're back drac's back yo sorry for all the genocide (laughs) Because, yeah, it was funny. I mentioned that season three, I was like jonesing for Dracula to return. And I was kind of a slightly dis... I mean, he's such a great character. And so I'm conflicted because you shouldn't just bring great characters back just because they're great. 
devalues them. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, okay. I feel like, oh, I could use a bit of Dracula at the end. <laughs> and um, weirdly, though, something to do with what happened when, when no, actually, when Trevor kills Death, Saint-Germain is still there. And I believe he, though Saint-Germain is dying at this point, he magics Trevor away. And something happens that causes the sort of hermaphrodite which is being created, which contains the souls of Dracula and Lisa, to get transported somewhere and they are now back on Earth. And there's something I like. There's something, I mean, even, I mean, we've said now in the first season and two, it is a great love between them. And this Dracula's war on earth was out of grief and madness i just but 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 it does sort of feel that he's sort of got away scot-free and (laughs) all this death and it's meant to be like a sort of happy ending but i feel like it was just a little bit too happy (laughs) because <laughs> it, it just had this vibe of everything's fine they're like joking lisa is like joking about you're gonna have to get used to calling yourself vlad uh, and, and not dracula but like i said it's like are they gonna have a chat about how dracula wanted to kill the world maybe they got all that out of the way in hell maybe uh, maybe seeing lots of people in hell kind of make lisa kind of got over the whole like death being the end sort of thing i don't know but well, how did you feel about this little button? Yeah, I, I think it's like as a, a little sweet nod, maybe just sort of please the fans. It's it's meant to make it fairly cyclical in the sense that the first season, the first episode starts with like Dracula and Lisa meeting and, you know, that love story and, and things. And it's it's sort of nice how they're like, we need to like leave the poor boy alone. Like he needs closure. So let's yeah, not... They're not gonna tell their son they're alive <laughs> fuck him um it's like oh but i like my castle it's just like no you're not allowed back there yeah, go um, to your room <laughs> where, where you killed me um but uh yeah i i think it's it's one of those things where it's like a fun little tag and not to think about it in the grand scheme of things yeah. too much like the but- fact that they kind of say well what do we do now and dracula's like there's a little place in northeast england called whitby and they have an abbey there i enjoyed that and it's where the sun barely shines (laughs) (laughs) i did i did like that but i guess i mean castlevania 3 is a prequel to the other castlevania games there's nothing to say that this show has to be a prequel to anything so dracula could be happy and nice forever but my video game me brain was like, so he, but in a hundred years, he needs to get evil. So he fights Simon. So I, yeah, I don't know. I just. Maybe all that will happen is that Simon writes Dracula a really horrible letter <laughs> and it enrages him so much that he's like, right, okay, Drat's back and he's badder than ever. You've just made me think of a sitcom where like Dracula lives lives next door in a suburban house. He lives next door to Van Helsing and they're like the worst of neighbours. <laughs> Dracula, what? <laughs> Put, play, keep your music down, your organ music. <laughs> 
Do you have to cook with so much garlic, Van Helsing? <laughs> it's wafting in my kitchen. Yeah, it's melting my face. It's like, yeah, I'd say that's an improvement, audience laughter. Um, <laughs> and well, stop your demon dogs defecating on my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um... Yeah, that's, I'm going to start writing that script in lieu the of... The original cast- odd couple. <laughs> um, yeah, you heard it here first. Uh, so... I actually, I have ranked my seasons, um, which I think is probably easier to do than our Resident Evil ranking because there's, there's a little less to compute. Uh, I do think season two is my favorite because I because that's when the characters, Alucard, Trevor and Cypher, they spend most time together, even though they're in the basement, but there's still a lot of fun interaction there. I am enjoying the Dracula height of his madness, the extra vampire lords you get. And I don't think the show has ever been better than its big bloody tears fight at the end. Um, and then I think I ranked three in second place. The first season I put at third place and, and the fourth and final season I put at the bottom of my list because I think it's probably that thing where... Um, like with any ending, all the promise of what came before does have to sort of coalesce and get to the end, and and some some of it landed, some of it didn't for me. Yeah, I'd I'd go with something similar. I might sort of like have season three slightly edging forward, but I'd have to rewatch season two to really know where it landed. Um, less because I mean I didn't care much for the Alucard stuff, but I think it's the strongest isaac stuff i think it's Mm. the strongest trevor and cypher stuff and the only thing that it's really lacking is having that dynamic with alucard and and trevor and cypher there so that's that's the thing which i think is missing i can watch a whole show of isaac doing his thing really so yeah i mean yeah he he was just he was cool (laughs) and he wanted to kill everyone but (laughs) (laughs) but that's the thing i think i think overall this is definitely one of the strongest adaptations of of a video game that we've had taken sort of collectively. And, you know, it has some flaws for sure. Uh, But it'll just be interesting to do more, I guess, video game TV shows and seeing how, you know, the benefit of time and allowing those stories, which quite often in video games, not so much in a NES game necessarily, but in video games in general, need that space to breathe perhaps. But yeah, we, the thing is though that I think I think this does try and do its philosophy. It does have it does have thoughts in its head, and I don't think I'll see that in like the Super Mario Super Show. I just um, I'm hoping that upcoming video game TV shows uh, have smarts as well as like cool, sexy people shooting vampires. <laughs> that's that's the show. It's a spell. Murder wakes it up. What kind of spell? Resurrection. It wouldn't have worked, it's missing parts. But he would have killed these people to try. And the other thing? A sigil. Sort of a magical code. It will have the name of the person he was trying to bring back from the dead. Oh, let me guess. It decodes as Vlad Dracula Tepesh. Why the fuck would anyone do that? Hmm? Would you do that? Oh, exactly. God, this is getting on my nerves. 
I wish I could fucking kill you twice. So it sounds like two recommendations then for Castlevania. But in the meantime, how can people keep in touch with Games on Film? You can find our website at gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast, which has information about video game movies and all our episodes. And all our episodes are available wherever you get your podcasts. That could be SoundCloud, Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Do like, rate, review, share, subscribe, wherever you can. Games on Film is also on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Games on Film Pod. And we're also individually on Twitter. I'm at Rory Steele. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And you can contact the show via email, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. Please do follow us on the social media channels. We post information about forthcoming video game movies and video game TV shows and anything else which might be of interest to the video game movie TV show aficionado. And the music for Games and Film was composed by David Lightfoot. Well, this might be the end of the Castlevania episodes we're doing, but hopefully we'll hear something about the future, even if... It will be something to do with vampires. I just—I was about to say, what, what, what could it be? What could it be about? It'll be about vampires. Castlevania. This time werewolves. <laughs> this time, they have shown up, so we'll see. This anyway. time, more werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just imagining big scoops of werewolves going into my um, pick and mix bag. Uh, um, but yeah, I guess it's just—it's been a lot of fun to talk about this this series, and a lot of fun to watch. Until next time, I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.